Welcome to Solutions, where men come out of the shadows to testify, giving tips in manhood, honor the codes of integrity, and give out real solutions for soul survival. Today, we have on the show an author, an entrepreneur, an independent thinker and leader amongst men, a man of action and talk, a man who walks parallel with the, with the restraints of the world, a man of respect who stands frontline for his people, the BX Burroughs own, none other than my son Lennon, AKA my son, the general. <sighs> how you doing, man? I'm blessed and highly favored, King. How are you doing today? Man, I'm great, man. I'm so happy that you came on to drop these gems today. Well, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me, man. You know, it's always, it's always a blessing when people actually appreciate the work you do. So I want to say thank you for that. Oh, man, we appreciate it both ways. Are you ready to drop these gems? Let's get the gem dropping. All right. What person did you meet or see that gave you the drive towards the man you are today? Who or what defined you? Mm, so many different people that I've met along the way, man. You know, my father was a big inspiration for me. My grandmother was an inspiration. My, um, who else? I would say brothers that I met in prison, brother that, you know, that probably would never be, see the light of day again, who took me under their wing when I was a, merely a young boy and just instilled certain jewels and principles and understandings and, and actually charged me to come back to society and be a better person. You know, people, I've had the honor of being mentored and been in rooms with and listened to you know, the knowledge of Harry Belafonte and and um, Minister Louis Farrakhan and, you know, brothers like um, Michael Eric Dyson and just been able to be in rooms as they spoke and, and just soak up knowledge, you know, and then just be having a strong mother who always imposed that, I, you know, I, I, I have to be successful that failure wasn't an option for me. So the man I am today is a culmination of so many different people. I can't give that to any one individual, man. Just, and then life itself has taught me. Life is the person that's taught me most lessons and, and given me the most inspiration and motivation. You know, life is forever changing. We look at the year that we've just had, nobody could have expected, you know, that we would have a global pandemic and, um, civil unrest throughout this nation and no and when you can't expect something you don't even know how to prepare for something you don't expect but you know as as those things occur it, it just defines you you know it shows you who you are when when you're able to rise to the task of stepping up and being frontline in those situations well it's great that you were able to take pieces of light from all those people and build yourself a kaleidoscope of shine for everyone to see can you give us a three or two gems that those people gave you that was profound to you for your spirit at the time? I think my grandmother's gem was do your own thing. You know, that was always her gem. Like, you know, don't follow nobody. Do your own thing. Don't be scared to be different. You know, when at a time when you're young and you just want to fit in and you come home and you're telling them, yo, these people don't want to hang with me and they don't like this. And my grandmother be like, do your own thing, baby. She even made like a little song, do your own thing, do your own thing. We used to say it all the time. So those that was one of the jewels. And you know, and my father always 
told me that a man is defined by where he stands when it's hard. You know, he said it's easy to do things when it's easy. He said, but when it's hard, that's what that's what shows manhood. You know, I remember he had got arrested and we were young. I was probably like seven to eight years old. And one of his friends, the police ran up on him. And you know, they, they grabbed him and picked him up. And they said that some some drugs or something was his. And, it, and he was like, it wasn't his. And they, he went to court and he was like, it's not mine. And the court was trying to get him to say that it was his friends, but he was like, I'm not saying that. And my mother was so mad. She like, you you got these kids home and this and that, and you sit in jail for something that ain't got nothing to do with you. He says, not that ain't got nothing to do with me. It's that it's not mine and I don't know who it is. And I'm not gonna lie on somebody else just to save myself because that's not the person I am, you know? And whatever I have to do to, in standing up for what I believe in and being honorable, that's what I'm willing to deal with. And I never forget that conversation. My mother was on the phone and she was yelling and she was so mad. And he just kept saying, that's just not the person I am. You know, it's not, I'm just not weak like that. And I never forget that. So that, that was one of the things that defined me. And then I would say, it would have to be something that Minister Farrakhan said, you know, he said, you know, he was talking about the Bible. He said, when you look the devil in the eye, he will flee. He said, you know, he was talking about a moment when he was so scared and his heart was beating fast and and he, he, he didn't know what to do. And he just, and he stood on what he believed in and he looked and he said what he felt. And he said, at that moment, all of the, the energy that he was, the fear left him and it entered into the other person, you know, because they only prey on your weakness. So when you don't, they don't see weakness, they'll flee from you. You know, so those are three three of the main things I think that have gotten me to the person I am today. Well, it sounds like your father exemplified all of those traits when he was on the phone with your mother. And mm -hmm. even though your mother was upset, I'm gonna say that she could be happy that she had, she knew that he would stand on something. Like, she, she know this she, man, this is what he stands on. I can't break it. That means he'll hold it up for me as well. That's right. And I, and I remember her after that, when he came home, you know, he they, they dropped the charges. He sat in jail for about eight or nine months. And then they eventually dropped the charges, you know, and when she when he came home, she was happy. And then she she was saying it to somebody else. She was like, that man was not gonna, no matter what he was, he would not compromise his principles for me and nobody else. And I said, and I think that's something that has carried me throughout my life. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. What a great story. Do you have a vision board? I don't. And I think I need to create one because I see a lot of people do it. I'm not, I think I'm more of a creative, right? And I'm not more of an organizer. A lot of my, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of my organization people, my partners, they're more organized than me. I'm more of the creative, you know, the, the plan in person, but the organization part is hard for me. I think I'm, I have ADD in that regard where I don't like to write. I just like to say words. I like to put things like physical. I don't like doing them that, but I realize that a lot of people have vision boards and it's helping them. I'm getting better at it though, but you well, know, I, my vision board is in my mind. 
Well, let's talk about that creative process because I feel like I'm a creator also. And I sometimes find myself wanting to say something really fast before I forget it because my mind is constantly creating. So it will funnel out the creative great thing I just had to say. Do you think you fear that a little bit? That's why you don't take the time to slow down because you might lose what you already had going right there? It might be that. I, you know, for me, it's just that ideas and thoughts come so frequent, right? And a lot of times, I just want to get them out. You know, a lot yeah. of times, I'll be having an idea and, and it's sparked by a word that somebody says or just a sound I hear, somebody walking around and it will spark a whole idea. And I'll be like, oh, you know what we should do? You know what you should do? And if you around me, you know, that's what makes my, my team Until Freedom so dope is that we each do something different, mm -hmm. right? I'm able to say, oh, you know what we could do? And then Tamika and Linda organize. So when I say, oh, you know what we could do? They say, that's a good idea. And they write it down. They turn, they they turn start it into real quick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's what, that's what, that's how we, we, we capitalize off each other. You know, when you have people that do, that are excellent and um, masterful at their own, in their own rights at so many different things, it creates such a dope union. But for me, you know, I, I guess what you, I guess what you're saying is right. There might be a fear or maybe it's just an eagerness. Yeah, eagerness. Because what I start realizing, you know, over the years is that my ideas, somebody has put them into activity years later and became successful with it. And that's yeah. like, that thing drives me crazy. Like I've been thinking like, yo, I thought about <laughs> doing that five years ago when somebody actually did it. And you it's know, one the of the biggest things. The worst thing about that is when your friend calls you and say, hey man, you had that idea first, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. Oh, all the time. So do, creatives out there, don't be afraid to get you a stenographer friend next to you. That's going to help you propel you to your purpose. Please, please do. We talk about goal setting. If you can give us, because when we look at you from a distance, we say, man, this man is so successful. But we want to know what's going on with you in terms of goal setting. Can you give us a goal that you reached that you felt was an apex that you couldn't believe it and one that you're chasing now? I think for me, a goal that I reach was to just find a purpose. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I remember when I first, I always thought music was my purpose, you know, because I loved it so much and, and it, it seemed so natural to me. And I realized it was my passion. You know, I realized it was a passion, but then to actually, when you actually come into your purpose, it's like you never work a day in your life. You know, like when I the work that I do, the activism and and the work that I do fighting for civil rights and fighting for the unheard and being the voice of those who don't have a voice, you know, it, it, it's so it's so fulfilling to me that it doesn't even realize. So when people like, oh yeah, you're doing such a great job, I'll be like, it's like I'm in the park. You know, it's like I'm in the park playing basketball. You know, it's yeah. like having a good time. It's not, you know what I'm saying? But it's hard work because it's on my soul, you know, when I actually see police brutality and I see that brothers are incarcerated at higher rates and some are doing life for crimes that their white counterparts don't even do probation for. Like when you start seeing those things, it hurts you. Then fighting for Breonna Taylor and there's no indictments for officers, you know, those things hurt. But the process that you go through 
just because you want to see what's right. It's, it's passion. It's like, it's pure passion. It's like whatever comes with it. Like, I have no problem giving my freedom on my life to this movement without, without, without the drop of a dime because it feels like that's what I'm here for. Whatever, whatever God has put me here for, he's put me here without fear to stand in those moments. You know, so that's, I think that is one of the goals that I've reached. I think goals that I haven't reached is a goal that I have, a personal goal that I have for myself that I say I haven't reached. You know, I don't know. I, I think for me is just, I think just peace, mm. you know, just complete peace. Like, you know, with this work, the work itself is fulfilling, but it's so many hard ships that you that you go through family and not being with your family away from your children not being able to um to spend time that you want not having time to have and just being tranquility you know i think this work you always in a state of trauma you're dealing with some level of trauma right so as fulfilling as it is and how natural it is it's also painful and, you know and it's very rarely that you have peace, just real serene peace. So I think that's one of my goals is just the day when you don't really have to do this and you can just be at peace. Talk to me about taking your taking your surviving mind and turning it into a thriving one. When you, you leave survival mode because you feel like you have a purpose now and now you're thriving to fulfill it. Can you tell me what it feels like when you made that that transition? Oh man, that's a good question. You know, I think the majority of my life was about survival. You know, even when I first got into music, I was like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna get out the hood and I ain't gonna starve no more. We ain't gotta be on welfare. You know, those, it was some survival. It wasn't, I wasn't just like, yo, I'm making music solely because I can and I'm in a peace and a, a, a moment where it's just create with no thing other just for the, than for the love of creation. You know, I don't think I've ever done that, but I think when you find your purpose and you start thriving, you know, I think it's when you start to see that the effects of the work and your passion have the effect that you want it to. When people come to you and they say, wow, you know, I really appreciate what you do. And they genuine, they like, yo, the work that you do is so inspirational and motivational to me. I, I tell my kids about you. I make my kids sit down and listen to your videos and listen to you. I, I made them sit there and listen to your Funkmaster Flex freestyle. Like, and when you see your, 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 your freestyles being taught in colleges as lessons, as they dissect and they, they take apart, you know, I think that's what thriving is. When, when you actually see your purpose live out its purpose. You know what I'm saying? When you actually see the effects of your purpose, when you actually see the positive effect that it has on the people in the world, and you actually start to see some level of change and growth and evolution from your purpose. What did you sacrifice for that thriving mentality? Like, what did you sacrifice? Uh, I sacrifice a lot, man, and still sacrifice it. You know, time with your family, you know, time with raising your kids and some moments that you might want to be there, days that you want to wake up, 
certain things that you miss, you know, time with your your mother and your siblings, just 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 spare time and you know, and it, it's just so many things that you have to sacrifice. They say a successful assist. No, I don't think that's the right quote for this. But basically, when I look through our history, you look at all of the great men who who I, I whose shoulders I stand on, you know, and, and you hear their stories, you hear how their families and the wife was unhappy because they were never home. And the kids missed him and said, Daddy wasn't really here, but he was taking care of the world. You know, and you and you see that in yourself, you start to identify with it. You know, it's it's a huge sacrifice. I don't and I don't know if it's just I'm making, but they're making. You know, so and since by the fact that you know that they're making it, it definitely affects you. Well, let's let's dive a little deep, because you said standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Talk to me about your lowest moment where this is the moment where someone needs to stand on your shoulders and figure out how you got up for one of your lowest moments when you were feeling like you didn't know yourself. Can you drop some gems on that today? Go into one of your lowest moments, but tell us how you got up. Uh, it's, it's a lot of low moments, man. It's, it's low, one of my lowest moments. I would say for me, it was coming home, right? coming home after doing seven years, after being on the brink of having a successful record deal. And you know, about a year into being home, I think I just sat there and I, I hadn't accomplished anything. Mm. You understand what I'm saying? I hadn't really accomplished anything. I had, I didn't have any money. Friends started to disappear because, you know, at a point, most of them believed that I would be successful. Oh, you're gonna come home, you're gonna have this thing and everything's gonna go right, your deal's gonna go, everybody, you're gonna have all this. And when it didn't pan out that way, you start seeing people go this way and relationships sever and this one goes that way. And then you sitting there and you like, I don't know what to do. You know, I don't really know what to do. I don't know what my next move is. And I think just trying to find that inside myself, just looking inside myself and saying, regardless of what happens, you're just not gonna lose. You know, regardless of, you know, none of this, none of this stuff defines you. None of this music, fame, no, none of it defines you. The person who you are defines you, you're, you know, the fact that you was able to sit in that cell for seven years and not crack and not break and come home healthier and, and more, you know, grounded shows your resilience. So I think that one year, like the one year period, like one and half, one year period of me actually being home and just sitting there realizing that I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I wasn't going to stop and I wasn't going to give up. So I think that was probably the lowest point for me. The creative process and you had to restart and reboot. And it just took a year for you to cocoon out of that. But I want to tell you something personally, for me, be being from the Bronx and around your circumference, you inspired all of us. You're one of the many people from the Bronx who gave us power in our minds that we can be successful before your tenure in prison and after. 
So I know you felt like you didn't have anything, but hope is very, hope is priceless, brother. Just wanted to tell you that. Well, I truly appreciate that, beloved. Thank you. How important is it to leave where you're from to de develop yourself to get where you're going? Oh man, that's that's a that's a big step and it's a hard step for me, you know, to leave where you're from because it's a comfort zone. Uh -huh. You know, you, you feel you get comfortable in a place. And we we we're teachers, we're creatures of habit and comfortability. You know, we want to be comfortable. You know, so but it's important because if you do what you always did, you're gonna get what you always got. You know? So in order to get something different, you gotta do something different. So you got to venture outside of your comfort zone. So it's very important not to leave your comfort zone, not to abandon what you've learned in that comfort zone, not to abandon the people in the circumference, but just to take what you, you've got from there and elevate, and, you know, and, and possibly. Do you have a fun moment where you took that step, like a new food or a new place you went to that you remember that was like, man, this wasn't that bad? Oh, man. I think when I first started traveling, I think when I was young, I didn't travel as much, you know, and when I moved, I used to live in, I, I actually moved to New Jersey and I was so like, I'm not leaving New York. Like I'm, I don't want to leave New York. I was living, I was living on Grand Concourse at that time, you know? And I was like, when I moved to Jersey, I was like, I don't want to live in no New Jersey. I don't want to, you know what I'm saying? I don't want it. And then I started to really, when I got there, I was like, this is dope. You know what I'm saying? I, I like it here. It's, it's peaceful. It's still, you know, it still gives me an element of what I'm from, but it's just different. You know, and then I started realizing sometimes you got to venture. You got to do something to challenge you, to push you out your comfort zone. Talk to me about fatherhood and mentorship. And I don't want to talk about fatherhood or how it's so great and we got to raise our sons. I want to talk about when you love your kids, but I don't like you right now. The patience you need to have as a father for these kids to have all of your skills, attributes thrown right back at you. Yes, I have three sons, man. And those are very difficult things. <laughs> you know, my oldest son is 22 years old. He's about to have embark on his fatherhood journey in a couple of months. So as I look at him, you know, I, I use him as an example. You know, unfortunately for the first seven years of his life, no, the, yeah, the first seven years of his life, I wasn't there. And I didn't get to have a, the, the biggest imprint on his life, you know, being incarcerated. So as when I came home, just rebuilding that process and getting comfortable with him being with his dad and being understanding who I am and this and that, that was a process, you know? And um, watching him mature and see all the traits that I have in him, his stubbornness, his I know everything, his let me do it my way, you know, was just amazing to me. Just watching it. Like, and, you know, it's just like, you look at like, wow, this is, people must have really, I used to really get on somebody's nerves with this shit. I can't believe, because this is, because what he was saying, it, I would, like, yo, this is exactly what I would say. All, you know? You all, like, <laughs> you can't even and say And then I remember, you know, I started, 
letting him, what I did was I allowed him to start making certain decisions. I said, okay, you know, not to where he would completely destroy himself, but to where he would have to deal with the ramifications of those decisions, right? And then he started realizing that it didn't pan out the way he thought it was, which I already knew. And I used to tell him, I'm like, you know what? I'm a cheat sheet through life. If you just pay attention to me, I got all the answers to the test. So all you got to do is listen to me. I promise you, it's going to be easier. You know, he didn't listen. And then I remember, I think on his 19th or 20th birthday or around there, I go to Instagram, I mean, a, a Facebook post, and he writes, he said, you know, I realized that my dad never told me nothing wrong. Throughout my life, everything he ever said was exactly right. And if I had to listen to him, it would have been way better. You know, let, let me stop you right there. That's what I think is one of the biggest issues in our community. Like, I think that we see our parents as just mom and dad. We forget that they have a story. Like, it don't matter what you did or what you do for a living. Your kid's like, dad, ma, that's it. That's who you are to them. I think kids should interview their parents at a certain age and the parents should do a tell-all. So they would know exactly what the parents did and done and they can figure out what mistakes to not make. What do you think about that? I think you're 100% right. Like a I straight interview. That. Like they get to ask any question they want for this moment in time right here. Don't miss it. <laughs> I think they should because I think that is a very, you know what? That's the thing what I want to do, right? I want to have a conversation with my son like that. I think I might want to do that. And we just go back and forth and have that conversation on how, you know, he's learned a lot and how we both, I think that would be very, you just get, see, you see what happens? Like we have an interview and this is how I am. I'll sit there and pop up with a whole idea. Yo, this is what I want to do. I don't know why. Well, it's that, recorded that, here, that, so you go, so I won't let you forget it. <laughs> yep. I got a question for you though. This is a yeah. question I, I talked to a bunch of guys that I hang out with from all over the country. And they all gave the same answer, but I want to hear what answer you gave. Did you ever get a sex talk? Who or what gave you sex education? Did you get a real sex talk about what sex really was and the ramifications? What was your teachings? I don't know if I really got a sex talk. Um, my father died when I was 12. And um, my, my stepfather, my brother's father, he used to give me insight, but I don't know if it was a full sex talk per se. You know, Why do you think know. as men, we run from the sex talk with the boys? I mean, I know some, somewhat to an extent, girls get a sex talk, but boys usually get, hey man, go mop that floor, or, or you know, wear that, wear that condom on that thing. Like they don't really give like information about what could happen, how serious this is. It's just like, yeah, it's so all fun, it's all good. <laughs> I think, I think it's been, um. I think historically and throughout history is just not really, I think they assume you know what to do. Like I didn't even know how to have sex. I remember the first time I, I thought I was having sex, right? I wasn't. Like I remember the, like literally the first girl that I thought I was having sex with, I got on top of her and just was putting my thing between her legs, not trying to find a hole or nothing. I didn't even know there was a hole. I just thought you put it down there. Like literally, I was just on top, just going like this and right. didn't know what I was doing, right? And then probably a week or two later, I watched somebody was playing a porno flick. 
Man, I actually man. seen something going inside the hole. I was like, oh, I didn't even know that. This, I was like, yeah, this girl must think I'm crazy. Yeah, she yeah. must think he's bugged out because he didn't even know how to get inside the hole. Or well, she could say it was amazing for her too. <laughs> she might not know either. I, I don't know if she knew or not. She never said nothing, but it definitely was weird when I, you know, when I actually <laughs> found out. It's like, wow. Wow. That's something I think we need to implement. Speaking of community and programs, I came up with something like a basic training program amongst men in the community where it's outside the education system, outside the church, outside the Boys and Girls Club, where volunteers or people from around the community teach financial literacy, communication, things like how to change a tire, change a tie, gardening, general wealth building, like stocks and trades at a young age, and speaking with the elderly, like having our kids actually go speak with our, with our older libraries. Do you think something like that can be implemented in our communities and we can uphold it? I think so. I think that would be that would be a good, you know, we need those type of programs. We need all the programs we can get. Our young boys especially need mentorship. They need right to passage. They need to see what manhood, you know, that's one of the things that I want to do with my organization, Raising Kings, is define what manhood is. I think in this, this day and time, there's such a poor representation and definition of what manhood really is. It's, it's been skewed so, around, so much that people think about what you have makes you a man, you know, how much money you got, how tough you are, like all the, the attributes that these young boys attributed to manhood is so off in my, in my perspective. You know, I think we definitely need men and programs that redefine that um that give the correct definition of what manhood looks like and how do you go about it and how you stand on principles and honor and you know how how important it is for integrity to be a part of who integrity to be a part of who you are you know so i think that would be dope respect integrity and hustle that's the name of this show right here that's how we get down but sure. let me talk to you about communication of men. How do I approach a man I have problems with? Establishing value. Well, I think first where you approach a man that you have a problem with is non-aggressively. Unless you want it to turn into a situation. You disarm, so when you, when you, when somebody is expecting aggression and you don't give them aggression, it disarms them and puts them in, oh, you know, it makes, because they're ready for aggression, especially if they feel like you have a problem with them. Right. So when you when you when you approach them respectfully, you know, without aggression, without anger, and you and you speak to them in a certain tone, man, you man, everything. Communication is ninety percent nonverbal to me. You know, it's not about what you say; it's how you say it. And if you approach someone in a manner that you don't seem threatening, you know that that's the first step. Then it's how you relate that you have an issue. You know, it's about how do you tell somebody you gotta know the end or knowing the individual. If you know the individual, understanding that individual is couldn't be important. But if you don't, just saying, hey brother, brother, you know, 
I, th I think me and you have an issue. I don't know where the issue, or I have an issue with something that you might've said, and I don't know if you did it purpose or something you might've done. And I don't know if it was done purposely or not, but you know, I just want to figure out if there's a way that we can rectify it and we can move forward. You know, it's, it's always about the way that you approach any situation. Approach with, with tranquil energy, like, you know, even kill. So, Cause people could read energy and feel it off of you. Absolutely. It's not, it's, it's not, you know, it's not, soft is not making yourself look weak it's just you 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 address it without aggression so you can you're be firm and not aggressive yeah you're bound but you can be firm and not passive is is somebody can see that you're firm and that you're strong and you're not scared but you're addressing the situation because you honestly just don't really want this to transpire into anything else you want to move past that and people respect that especially if you have you know what i realized throughout history right or my history most of the people that I've had issues with, for the most part, were people who had the same lion energy that I have. Mm. For some reason, lions, we don't know how to compliment each other. You'll look at somebody who has the same energy and feel a threat to yourself in the room, right? Absolutely. They'll look at you and, and they say, why, what you looking at me for, right? Because they sense aggression and the level of, you know, alpha maleism in me that they have. So they feel like they have to be more aggressive or, you know, sedate me in order for them to be able to share the same space. That's when you're young and you're not taught that, that's one of the things that's right to passage. When you see another lion, I don't have to compete with you. I can admire you. I'm gonna be like, yo, I was looking at you because that jacket is kind of dope. I was like, yo, it's fly. I like them sneakers you had. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't know how to do that. We don't, we feel like if I, if I look at you and I like something that you, and I don't know you, then it makes me weak. So I gotta, I have to portray this role that I'm better than you so that you don't think that you're better than me. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the weirdest thing. And I realized that most of those people, after years, we became best friends. Right. You know, cause we all had the same energy. If you look at most leaders, whatever it's, it's, it's testosterone and energy that has you compete. And I don't need to want, when you look at how in the NBA, LeBron and them started to say, you know what? I don't gotta compete with you. We all, let's get on the same team and win rings. Let's just be champions. You know, that that mind state was, was always frowned upon. Mm -hmm. You know, like, why would you want to be on a team with another another warrior? You was you supposed to want to fight the warrior to the death. No, I'm. Every warrior could, can, could be on, some of the warriors could be on the same team. You know what I'm saying? Like, in, in, in that mindset. And that's what we have to, we have to start embracing, you know, that that every everything is not a competition. It's not about a problem. It's not about an issue. Sometimes it's just energy, misplaced energy that we don't know how to express. Right, thousand percent. We talk about leaving a legacy, but we mostly ignore major steps. Do you have a will? I do not have a will at this moment. That's now. Why do you think you don't have a will? Is it because of the conversation of death, or do you feel you just don't have accumulated enough things you feel you want to leave behind? I think it's a combination of both. I think conversation of death is something we don't want to speak upon, and most of us, until we actually reach later years, hopefully God will, we'll we'll see death in our path. You know, so it's not something that we have now. Most, I think for the most part, I've never heard nobody in my age bracket mention a will. 
You know, uh, Will's. Well, let, let me let me break it down. I had a, a pre previous guest by the name of Cameron Wesley, and he said his other friends of different cultures look at death as an investment. And certain uh, people look at a will as a will to live versus a will to die. When they th talk about things like, I know your father's passed, but you, uh, someone can take out a uh, insurance policy on their parents. Other cultures do that as investment so they can continue their lineage and continue wealth in their family when they take out large insurance policies and spread it around. I think the conversation of will for us culturally is because we're always on defense mode when we walk out the door. Death is always like, around the corner for us it's like a feeling so to talk about it it's like bringing it to our doorstep right. yeah that but makes I, sense but i think we have to get on a court on how things are run paperwork wise and really control the gofundmes and control what we need to accumulate in terms of invest in life insurance and trust funds so we can control and try to help each other as a community to make sure that people are buried adequately and families don't go astray from one person's death financially that makes a hundred percent sense. You know, I don't think that we, I don't think that we, I think that we, we have not been educated in so many aspects of, especially finances and gen, generational wealth. We, we don't have the knowledge. And I think slowly but surely we're starting to get there. We're starting to understand how finances work and how to create wealth and how to generate and what's the secrets that you know, our white counterparts have been using and, and just different cultures have been using throughout history to maintain wealth, you know? And I think sometimes it scares us to have these conversations because we think it's so hard. When you think about having money, you be like, oh, it's so hard to get that money. I'm, let me just do the regular stuff. I don't want to go into the process of this inside of this paperwork and all of this. And it, 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 in your mind, it's like so many things to do to get there that a lot of people just don't want to deal with the process. You know, people want the overnight success. They want the money, but they don't like the process that it takes. So I think when we start realizing, we start just start doing it and we realize the process is no more difficult than anything else that we go through every day, right. you know, it makes it easy for us. And, you know, and, and slowly but surely we're waking up in that regard. So this conversation is something that made me see like that. You know what? Maybe that's something I need to pay attention to and look into. Is it, and the thing is, it's a one-time conversation. It's not like you're going to have it every year. It's like, you do your paperwork, you talk to your family, this is where this is, boom, it's done. Like, you don't have to worry about it unless you're going to upgrade every 10 years, but that's something you do. In terms of leaving where you leave the information, what you're leaving, getting a POD from the bank so they can transfer the money from your bank account so your family hasn't go through probate court. Those things I feel like we need to start talking about more as men and getting our next generation more comfortable. Because our father figures, they went through the drugs, they went through the, the, the trying to get jobs. And now our generation, we're starting to see a little bit of money and we're starting to learn financial literacy. So I think this next generation should be, whatever their quarrels are gonna be, it's not gonna be those. It shouldn't That's be. right. That's right. Let, let's get into some fun relationship man, woman talk for your last few questions. And then we're gonna let you go. And I wanna say, I appreciate you again for coming on. Yes, sir. I did a poll with some women and some men, and we talked about the top three things that they ha they want in a person's criteria for the attribute as like, what what, the, what do you want in a woman? And I guaranteed, and so many people guaranteed that the one word that we came up with, no one ever says. So I want to poll you today, sir, on the top three things 
<laughs> that you want in a woman in a criteria. Give us top three and let's see if you can guess the one word that everyone said that no one will ever say. Top three things that I want in a woman. Um, need her to be dependable. Um, I need her to be Hmm. See, now you got me thinking because I want to try to make this work. <laughs> it's an easy one, too. Everybody wants it. This, this, this talent, <laughs> this attribute, or this blessing, or whatever it is. Everybody wants it. Um, intelligent. Ah, my friend, I knew it would be you. Intelligent is the word. Most people say God-fearing, lovely, responsible. Nobody ever says intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for my song right now. Oh, that's big time. You got to give us a third, but intelligence is the word. Um, dependable, intelligent, and loyal. You'd be surprised if you ever get a chance to poll your counterparts that work with you, ask them what kind of three things they want in a man. Let's see if they say intelligence. Nobody says intelligence. Mm. And that's very important. It is. <laughs> intelligence. Here we go. As a husband, there's no wrong answer to this question. I just want to hear your review and what you think. As a husband, would you rather have a great woman or a great wife? Hmm. As a husband? As a husband. As a husband, you want to have a great wife. Please elaborate. Well, you know, because before, there's the fact that you make someone your wife, that means there's a criteria for wife, right? When you, when you have a wife, that's someone who becomes one with you. You know, that's someone who is your, the yin to your yang. That's somebody who completes you. That's somebody who is completely, you know, yoked with you. And they see every conquest, every win, every loss is everything as theirs. If you win, they win. If they win, you win. Everything is us. It's not, oh, you got this and I got this. As a wife, you become one with somebody. A great woman is someone who individually is great in her own regards and she does things to help you and she loves you and you know you know that she cares for you and you know that she can be there for you but her life is still independent of yours wow. there's no there's no complete union you know what i'm saying when you have a woman there's a difference in that you know even though she may do things she's not obligated she doesn't feel uh, you don't feel like she's obligated. So everything that she does for you is more of a blessing. It's more of a, thank you, baby. I appreciate it. You know, it's more of a friendship. You know, like it's when you have a friendship with somebody, it's apart from you, right? There's the, the criteria changes, you know? And I realize that most people want the title of husband and wife, but they don't want the job. 
because it's, it's a serious job. And that's why a lot of marriages don't really work because people have criterias and they have expectations of a counterpart that is very hard to live up to unless you really are a wife or a husband, you know, which was acceptable in just your relationship when you dated no longer becomes acceptable in a marriage. You know, I have more criteria for you. I'm, I'm, I, I, I believe that you got my back all the time. Like you can't never not have my back. It's never at the time when, even if I'm at odds with somebody else, then you at odds with that person. We just, cause we are one team, we are one, you know, and it's, and, and that's, that's a very hard thing to do. So when you have, when you're a husband, you actually want a wife. You know, what you said to me that stuck out so profoundly. I mean, everything was great, but for me it was like, your wins are my wins and my losses are your losses. Like you're there for both. And the intimacy that you see when you get up to try to be the man you want to be during the day, people don't see when you feel broken. When you step out the door, everybody thinks you're just a raw guy, man, how you doing your thing? But your woman gets to see, she gets to get the glue and piece you back up. That's the cool thing you had hope she used Gorilla Glue. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Validation from your partner. It's like you win a championship when you meet the right woman. Well, Mr. My Son, I ask you, do you defend the title? And what I mean by that is, are you still doing the same things that she loves or the upgraded things she's, she's requested? Are you competing with the best versions of yourself to defend the title? That's a very hard question. I believe as a husband and just in, in, in marriage generally, it's hard, right? And I believe that we both like automobiles, right? And we run on fuel. You know, and it's like the chicken or the egg, right? And I think that's what happens in marriages, right? I think everybody is waiting for the other person, especially when this marriage is not going as you want it to. Everybody's waiting for the other person to do the thing to fuel their car, right? So mm. everybody's looking like, well, you need to do this so I can do that, but you need to do that so I can do this. And everybody's sitting in the middle and nobody's moving anywhere, right? Because nobody, for some reason, wants to be the first person to, to, to be the few because they feel like they need to be few. Or maybe they do. Maybe they don't have it. Maybe they really need you to fuel them. So the validation, like you said, you want to be celebrated, you know, as, as men, especially as an alpha male. You know, you want, you, you want your queen to celebrate you. You want her to look at you with this face like, that's my king. You want her to talk life into you. You want, like when you're down and you're broken, her to go get the glue and say, listen, baby, you're the best in the world. I don't care what nobody say. I don't care how many fights you lost and this and that. It's just like when the world, I was watching Gucci Men and Jeezy battle, right? And people mm -hmm. was like, I was one of them. And, I was like, damn, Gucci still needs to grow up and this and that is, you know, that's 15. And his wife, when his wife went on Instagram was like, baby, I love you. And it took a lot for you to do what you did. And anybody that don't like it, fuck them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, that, that's, out the that's what you want from your wife. You want yeah. your wife like, man, look, I don't give a fuck. With, if the whole world ain't with us, then they ain't with us. And I don't care who. Even, even if in my mind, I'm, I might be like, man, you should have did it better, but the world gonna get this, me and you. The world gonna hear, and they gonna see me standing by you. They never gonna make, I'm never gonna make the world, anybody think that I'm not with you at any time. 
You understand what I'm saying? And that's a very hard thing to do because a lot of people don't want to do it, you know? And, and men, we we thrive off that. We, we really thrive on, when you give a man that right there, when you pour that into a man, it's nothing that he don't feel like he accomplished. When I watch 300, which is one of my favorite movies, right? His wife, right? The gangsterism of his wife was so phenomenal to me. Like he was, when, when, when the movie started and they killed the people and they threw him into the thing. I mean, he knew he was going to war with this God King that had millions of things, you know. And he went home to his wife and he was just sitting there like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And she was like, what you mean you don't know what you're gonna do? You're gonna do what you've been doing. You're the best fucking warrior in the world. That's why I got you. Like, what are you talking about? You don't know what you're gonna do. And he looked at her and was like, you right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you right, I'm, I'm gonna do what you said. And they made love and then she went out there and she fought with the whole council. She killed some people. She did what she had to do. She slept with a dude so he can get the, she did whatever it was going to take to make her husband successful. You understand what I'm saying? He understood it. It was, they was on the same page. And you know, that is so important. And, and I think marriages today don't have a lot of them. I see people in marriages that don't work. They don't have that. They have, oh, we love each other. We got kids, we got this and we're doing this, but we're not one. You know, the, to the, the world has to see us as one. They can't think we divided at all. Like, yeah, you have your own thing and that, but they know for the most part, I got your back and you got 90% of the time, 95, 99%. The one time that I don't got my back, only you gonna know about it because they not gonna know about it. You know, and I think that's what happened. And friendship is the same way. You know, it's like when you go, it's like your boy is wrong, but they trying to jump him. You ain't gonna let them get jumped. We gonna fight them. And then when I get back to the house, I'm gonna tell you, yo, you did some dumb shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm not gonna say, yo, yo, you see, that's they jumping you. You should have just been quiet. You know what I'm saying? Like that ain't, that's not friendship. I think it's amazing. I think we, it's an understatement how much she had probably prepared Gucci to go out there for that. She probably was working on him for a long time. Cause she probably knew uh, even at the end of that battle, I saw a release when So Icy came on. The energy changed in the room, man. Even through internet, it was just like, oh man, this is different. Yeah. I think I think both men had to do exactly what they did to get where they were trying to go. How disrespectful exactly. it was and how humbling it was for Jeezy and how disrespectful it was for him. I think he made it out, both of them made it. I think both of their women have credited them pushing them out there. Both of their women. I think both of their yeah. women. I came up with something called operating at 100%. And what I mean by that is every day I take five categories that are worth 20% each. It's purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Purpose meaning you're living your purpose, doing what you need to do, being successful. Health meaning you're eating right, working out, meditating, praying, the things you need to do mentally and physically with you over here drinking the green juice. <laughs> confidence is that you're doing it confidently without feeling any insecurities or intimidated money is you made a little money invested a little money or paid some bills and knowledge you took some knowledge in today so mr myson i ask you within the last 24 hours 20 percent of each category how much have you been operating out of 100 percent well i think for me in the last 24 hours especially when it comes to exercising and health 
I just left the gym. I've been, you know, and you see, I got my green juice. I actually have been eating way differently. Um, confidence. I think I've been real confident in myself. I've been preparing my mind for the next steps of my life. You know, what I want to do, the next things I want to do, just prioritizing. Woke up this morning with this rhyme that I want to do. Continuing putting that together, a whole Black History Month ideology and process that I want to put together. What's the other ones? Purpose, health, confidence, money, and knowledge. Purpose. You know, I think I've been, I've identified my purpose and constantly been trying to move in that purpose. You know, um, knowledge. I've been trying to learn a lot. You know, I've been doing a lot of um, studying, Googling certain things I don't know, especially when we look at where we are in this country with this thing going on with the, the whole capital and the insurrection and what's going on in, in government. I've been trying to educate myself about certain things, about the impeachment process, about what it would actually take to get him convicted and removed and all of those things. So I think I've been trying to be a lot more knowledgeable in that regard and just being, you know, because as someone who's looked upon as a leader, I want to be able to um, correctly give information, you know? So that's something that I've, I've been doing a lot more, just trying to educate myself before I speak about things, not just based on my opinion or my emotions, but having logic and knowledge and, you know, and education to go along with it. And what was the last thing? It was money, investments. Money. Uh, investments, paying a bill, or you know, helping someone out, charitable charity work. Oh, I've done a lot of charity in the last 24 hours. Um, helping someone out, I've been doing that. Trying to working on investments, and just trying to see what the next thing is to invest in. You know, me and my team have been talking about that lately, and how we need to um, make sure that whatever money that we have doubles and triples in the next couple months and years so you know a couple weeks i think I, I think, <laughs> I, think I'm, I think i'm operating i think i ain't gonna lie i think i'm i'm operating and i went i would say 95 because i still dealing with just stress and trauma most of a lot of times dealing with unforeseen things and just issues you know family issues and things like that that you have to deal with every day so that that, that percent is something you know. I say something that trauma creates predators, but it also creates heroes. And I think it created a hero out of you, sir. And I want to go back to what you said. This is the end of the interview, but I want to go back to what you said about goal setting and vision board. I, from listening to you speak, I hear what your goals are. So you go, you're already goal setting. And I know you don't have a vision board, but I want to say that your raps are vision boards because the way you rap is visionary. And when you speak and you re really personify those thoughts and put them on paper and send them out to the world, that's a vision board for all of us to hear and see at the same time. Well, I truly appreciate it. I, I've, I've always seen it that way, but a lot of my colleagues get on me about not having something written down and writing down vision board and saying, yeah. hey, write this down. Like, you know, so I've tool. always been a cerebral individual. You know, I've been one of the Jay-Z's who write rhymes in their head. That's just who I am, I very rarely write anything down at all. So, you know, I wanna be I want to be good at both. I wanna be able to have the vision in my mind and be able to 
put it down and leave it as probably a blueprint for somebody else. Well, well it sounds like you mastered the jump shot. Now you got to master the layup. That's all they're exactly. trying to tell you. You got to add exactly. something to your game every summer. Exactly. The new exactly. summer. Thank you, sir. You are now a part of the Silhouette Boys Club. It is people like you who move in the shadows to help people like me shine. I want to give a good shout out to BX Pocahontas JJ for putting us together in the Jay. same room. Shout My out to JJ. Before you go, Mr. Myson, we like to get a referral from you, someone you think can come on the show and answer these questions so we can help grow the conversation of manhood. Do you have someone you would love to refer today to come drop these gems? Mm, who would I who would I refer? Um some brothers that I could refer. I, a brother I just talked to yesterday who's a dope brother, my brother Irv Roland. Trade the Truth is somebody you can reach out to. Another one of my brother. We have a project that we're about to drop. Like these are brothers that I know in their heart and mind. You know, they they are incredible individuals and they're all about evolution and growing and and have gems that, you know, I think the world would definitely enjoy hearing. Thank you, sir. We'll be reaching out to you to get those names and have Trade the Truth and Mr. Earl, you said, right? Irv, Irv Rowland. Mr. Irv Rowland to come on the show. That will be amazing. And we'd like to you to shout out your social medias or where we could find you or something else you're doing right now in our community that you want us to know about. Well, my social media is at my son NY General on Instagram. It's at my son on, on Twitter and on Facebook is my son. So follow me on all three platforms. And I'll just be, I'm working, man. Until Freedom, you can follow my, my Until Freedom page. We have a podcast, me and Tamika Mallory called Street Politicians. So follow Street Politicians for updates about that. And, you know, we're just, just trying to add to the culture and not take from it. And your book too. Don't forget and that. My we book. Need to read more. Yeah, we need to go get the book. I know my rights. It's on Amazon. <laughs> you know, um, and it's doing real well. It's a children's book. And even though it's a children's book, a lot of adults definitely say that they get a lot from it. So make sure they go get Listen, that. If I can find a way to get it on this side, I'm gonna order it and I'm gonna have it for my son. Definitely. Well, thank you. We appreciate you, man. Thank you. I wanna leave with this quote before we go from Dr. Miles Monroe. He said, true success is not measured by how much you have done or accomplished. It is not compared to what others have done or accomplished. True success is what you have done compared to what you have done. In other mm -hmm. words, living in the maximum is competing with yourself. It's living up to your own true standards and capabilities. Success is satisfying your own personal passion and purpose in pursuit of personal excellence. So the question you ask yourself every morning when you get up, are you maximizing your life? Ladies and gentlemen, this is Solutions.